Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball in a Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 45 through 50, Friday through Wednesday, June 29th through July 4th, 2001. Five smiley faces, i.e. bowel movements. I love Sedona. Friday, Libre, Arizona, hopefully without any complications. Wee! I can't wait to get to Sedona. It will be so nice and soothing and perfect. Adrian's journal entry dated June 27, 2001. Friday morning doesn't begin well. After a small breakfast of one boost shake and half a piece of toast, Adrian throws up when she tries to cough up the mucus in her lungs. We keep a country crock plastic container near her at all times, so she is prepared when it happens. She's still no Linda Blair, but the vomiting is more frequent now. If it's going to happen, it usually does right away, so I watch for signs up to 30 minutes after she has eaten. Sometimes she doesn't even feel nauseated. The food just comes up when she coughs or burps. Thanks to chemo, which causes the nausea, which leads to vomiting, which results in no appetite, Adrian's weight has plunged down to 125 pounds, a loss of 18 pounds in six weeks. Jenny Craig would be jealous. Adrian cleans up while I pack the car. We are driving to Arizona straight from the hospital. Dr. No approved the trip, but we have to go to the clinic before we leave. I'm afraid he might change his mind. I don't know what we'll do if he says she can't go. Maybe we shouldn't tell him about this morning. I suspect he won't care, though. Adrian's low hemoglobin is a real issue. She might need her first blood transfusion, which would delay our trip or force us to cancel it altogether. I hope he's in a good mood. Adrian needs this trip. So do I. Summer 1995. At the first sign of violence, I should have ended my relationship with Dan. He restrained me during an argument by squeezing my arms so hard I was certain he left bruises. He didn't, though. Not long after that incident, he threw a phone at my head. I ducked. The wall suffered minor damage. When he tore the bedroom door off its hinges because I had locked him out, I should have called the police, filed charges, and moved out. Dan was not only an alcoholic, but also a mean, violent drunk who lashed out at the slightest provocation. I never thought much about him hurting me, but I feared Adrian might get caught in the crossfire. She was living with us when Dan attacked the door, hiding in her bedroom, sleeping, I hope. Raising her in a violent home was criminal, but I didn't know how to leave Dan without setting him off. I saw a way out when he almost wrapped his white Ford Ranger truck around a pole at the corner of Highland and Franklin near the Hollywood Bowl. He made it home in one piece. The truck didn't fare as well. 
Not long after his car accident, we agreed to end our relationship. He blamed me for his drinking. Knowing the relationship was volatile, my dad and stepmother Ava offered to take care of Adrian for two weeks while Dan moved out. That summer was the first time they met a then nine-year-old Adrian. Hopping in Ava's old green Dodge Dakota pickup, Adrian learned so much about Arizona in those 14 days by traveling across the land and experiencing its history. At Tonto National Monument, Adrian complained as she and Ava hiked a mile up the steep hillside. However, once they were inside the two-story cliff dwelling, Adrian became quiet as she walked through each room, touching the walls of the ruins left behind from the Salado Indians in 1300 AD. She learned the Salado, like many Southwest tribes, abandoned their villages in the early 15th century. Ancient people have always fascinated Adrian. A self-proclaimed Egyptologist by the age of six, she devours books about Egypt, mythology, and religion. By the fifth grade, she was reading college textbooks about these subjects. I can imagine her deep reverence for the people who lived in those cliff dwellings so long ago. With Ava as her tour guide, Adrian fell in love with Arizona that summer. They went everywhere, the painted desert, the petrified forest, and more. My favorite picture of Adrian was taken at Meteor Crater. She is sitting on a rock ledge with her legs crossed, arms outstretched, palms facing forward like she is soaking up the energy of her surroundings through her fingertips. Below her lies the barren desert, above her a cerulean blue sky grazed by white clouds. A slight breeze appears to be ruffling through her hair. Her youthful energy leaps off the picture, bringing life to a deserted land. Adrian seems ready to take on the world. Ava took Adrian on another trip during that first visit. They packed a picnic and went to my father's office to have lunch with him. When a coworker said hello, Ava introduced Adrian. This is Adrian Wilson. The woman looked at Adrian and asked, and she is? Not skipping a beat, Adrian replied, I'm their granddaughter. After the woman walked away, Adrian looked at Ava and explained, it's just easier. She wouldn't understand. Laughing, Ava agreed. How do you explain to your husband's coworker, this nine-year-old child is his ex-wife's youngest daughter from another relationship, but his oldest daughter is now raising her half-sister who is visiting you while that same daughter ends a violent relationship? You don't. Adrian knew even then to keep things simple. I think my dad used to be upset our mother gave Adrian his last name. Mother never changed her surname after the divorce. When I asked her about it, she replied, Would you want to go back to being Myra Jean Green? I don't like your father, but I'll keep his name. I believe she gave Adrian the same name because it was the easiest thing to do. On Adrian's birth certificate, the boxes for the father's name remain blank. Our mother could have put Todd Dickinson, but she chose not to. I don't know why. Adrian's paternal grandparents, who live in California, have never been part of her life. Our mother's parents, two mama and papa, died when Adrian was four years old. Considering that Adrian isn't supposed to be a Wilson, it's ironic my dad and stepmother are the only grandparents she has ever known. The doctor at the clinic, turns out Dr. No isn't here today, says we can go, 
but Adrian will need a transfusion soon if her hemoglobin doesn't recover. Excited about our trip, we rush over to McDonald's for a late lunch. Adrian eats a cheeseburger, fries, and one of my chicken McNuggets, plus a fruit roll-up. Big improvement over breakfast. She insists we listen to her CDs in the car so she can quiz me about each song. Okay, sissy. Who's this? Um, Jane's Addiction? My default answer. No! Nine Inch Nails! Trent and Perry sound nothing alike. She rolls her eyes as she pops in another CD. And this is... I try to distinguish the voices, but I'm terrible at remembering singers and songs, especially when I don't listen to the same music she does. I think about the bands she likes. I got it. Nirvana. Nope. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Jeez, sissy, you're hopeless. I laugh with her as she laughs at me. I don't mind losing this game because it keeps her spirits up. Adrian continues to test my knowledge of music as our car crawls along the freeway. Two hours later, we are still in Los Angeles. I turn on I-15 North, a big detour that takes us through Lake Havasu. More miles, but the traffic is lighter. The temperature continues to rise even as the sun goes down. By midnight, the heat has leveled off at 100 degrees, same as Adrian's temperature, which I take whenever we stop for gas. At 2 a.m., 10 hours after we left L.A., we arrive in Cottonwood, a small town near Sedona. John, who wasn't able to leave town until 8 o'clock, shows up by 4 a.m. Exhausted, we fall into bed. John lies on an air mattress in the guest room while Adrian and I claim the bed. As I close my eyes, I think about our other Arizona trips and how this one is going to be so different. Winter, 1996. Adrian and I visited Dad and Ava at their home near Sholo, Arizona. I say near because they lived in the middle of nowhere. The closest gas station and grocery store were located 25 miles away in the even smaller town of Pine Top Lakeside. After years of living in Phoenix and suffering through its 120 degree heat, Ava and Dad had ventured about 175 miles northeast of the city into the heart of the White Mountains. At 6,400 feet, snow blanketed the land every winter, herds of elk frequented their front yard, and they lived close to the Sunrise Park Resort. When Dad offered to take us skiing, I jumped at the opportunity. I had only been once before and loved it. Hating the sport, Ava stayed home, while Dad, 10-year-old Adrian, and I set off for sunrise. Our brother Aiden was also visiting. He tagged along even though he hated skiing too. He became the keeper of our stuff while the rest of us hit the slopes. Since we had no ski gear, Adrian and I wore sweatpants and several layers of shirts, plus jackets, which we borrowed from Ava. Adrian donned my Yale black baseball cap. In Aspen, we would have looked like freaks, but at sunrise, we fit in with the locals who dressed in jeans, sweaters, and even cowboy hats for skiing. We had missed the morning ski lesson, so I stayed with Adrian on the bunny slope while dad skied some runs. I wanted to make sure Adrian mastered the snowplow before she tackled the mountain. She complained all morning about her knees hurting, saying, I can't do it, sissy. I knew she could because she had strong legs due to ice skating, running track, and good jeans. On her last attempt before lunch, she managed to stop herself by making a snowplow, the tips of her skis forming a perfect triangle. 
pride melted her pain and frustration. All smiled, she asked, Now can I go down the mountain? After lunch, I said. Together, the three of us rode the ski lift with Dad explaining to Adrian how to jump off when we got to the top of the easiest run named Spruce Ridge. Now, at almost 10,000 feet, Adrian jumped off the lift like a pro, weight forward, knees bent. When we looked down the mountain, I realized not all green, aka easy slopes, were created equal. This run was steeper than anything I had ever skied before, and I felt fear crawl into my heart. Before I could remind Adrian to snowplow, she was hurtling down the run, her skis inches apart. My dad seemed surprised too, saying, oh my God, I've got to go after her. He shot off to catch up with Adrian while I stayed, frozen, wishing I possessed the fearlessness of a child. Although they skied together the rest of the afternoon, I never caught up with them. I never saw Adrian ski down that mountain. Fall, 1999. The only time Adrian, John, Adam, and I went to Arizona was over Labor Day weekend almost two years ago. Dad and Ava had moved back to the state after being gone for some time. We went to Jerome, a hippie town tucked into the hillside and home to many local artists. We visited a ghost town named Haynes, which boasted a population of 304 people in 1901 during the height of the gold rush. Adrian and I decided to explore an old house in the town, ignoring the signs that read, don't go beyond this point rattlesnake area. My father became agitated. Girls, didn't you read the sign? We'll be fine, Dad, I said. John threw his hands up in the air and stormed away. They play by their own rules, he said to my father. I smiled. Like the sign, Adrian and I ignored them and walked through the house, touching the wood and marveling at how the structure was still standing after so many years. Fall 2000. Last September, Adrian and I trekked out to Arizona without John. I don't remember why he didn't come with us. With her newly dyed bright blue hair, Adrian wanted to go to Arizona before she started her first day of high school, the Tuesday after Labor Day. We cheered on horses at the Prescott Downs racetrack, hiked through the Red Rocks, and spent time doing nothing. The highlight of our weekend, however, was an innocuous trip to Walmart. When Ava, Adrian, and I walked out of the store, we saw this heavy-set woman loading groceries into her SUV. Rolls of cellulite burst out of the woman's too tight short shorts, revealing red pimples so large we could see the pus oozing out of them from 10 feet away. Speechless, we looked at each other. Then Adrian said, that is so wrong. The three of us laughed so hard we could barely stand up straight. Tears poured down my face. I knew we shouldn't be laughing, but sometimes the truth is too funny. We couldn't wait to get home to tell my father. Saturday morning, I set up shop. I had emailed Dad and Ava in advance about our particular needs during our visit. Clean house, clean counter space, and a clean dog. I put the tackle box along with Adrian's other medical supplies on the counter. My dad watches me as I lay the bottle of saline, needle, syringe, and alcohol pad on a paper towel. What are you doing? He asks. Adrian yawns as she sits down at the kitchen table. 
She pulls out the double lumen from her pajama top, the two lines dangling against her chest, flushing her lines. I explain the process as I attach the needle, withdraw the saline, dump the needle in our sharps container, and wipe the cap with alcohol. I have to make sure there are no air bubbles, I say. I thump the syringe with my middle finger and examine it closely. My dad's face reveals nothing. He is the most stoic man I know. He watches, though. I wonder how he would have reacted if he had seen me give Adrian her Nupagen shot ten minutes before in the bedroom. Ava flutters around the kitchen, asking Adrian if she wants anything to eat. Adrian nibbles on toast. Her eyes droop, but she wakes up when Sophie, Ava and Dad's terrier mutt, comes over wagging her bushy tail. Adrian leans down and scratches the top of Sophie's head while giving her a piece of toast. Sophie was a puppy when Adrian went to Arizona for the first time. Adrian and Sophie would walk on the treadmill together until Sophie would lose her footing and slide off. Giggling, Adrian would pick up Sophie and they would start over again. Six years later, Adrian adores Sophie and looks forward to seeing her. This visit is different, though. Too tired to play with her favorite dog, Adrian lies on the couch and watches MTV2, a network we don't have on our cable at home. She drifts in and out of sleep the rest of the afternoon. On Saturday night, Adrian spends time writing in her live journal online, but afterwards she can't sleep. I give her 50 milligrams of Benadryl around midnight. She once had a negative reaction to it in the hospital, but the nurse administered the medication through Adrian's IV. Given by mouth, she normally doesn't have any problem, except for tonight. Her muscles twitch and she feels jumpy. John talks to Adrian in an effort to distract her while I call Children's Hospital. The doctor on call recommends Ativan to counteract the Benadryl, which takes six hours to wear off. I don't remember when I picked up the prescription for Ativan, but I find a bottle of it in Adrian's tackle box. The label reads PRN, meaning take as needed. Well, she needs it now. I give Adrian the smallest tablet, 0.75 milligrams, before she lies down in bed. Sleeping next to her, I feel Adrian's body thrashing around, her legs jerking, forearms twitching. Two hours later, I give her more Ativan. I make a mental note to add Benadryl to her increasing list of allergies. Adrian falls into a restless sleep by 5 a.m. I opt not to wake her for her morning meds. Since I was the one who gave her the medication that kept her up all night, the least I can do is let her sleep in. The meds can wait. The constant balancing act with Adrian's medications reminds me of a seesaw. The trick to playing on a seesaw is both people must be approximately the same size or else it doesn't work. Sitting up high in the air with your legs hanging down because you are smaller than your friend defeats the whole purpose. If that same friend jumps off quickly, you come crashing down, your rear end sore from the force of the wood hitting the ground. Too much Benadryl. Crash. Give Adrian Ativan to help her body recover. Get back on the seesaw. Keep it straight. Balance the meds. No more extreme ups and downs until Adrian has diarrhea twice on Sunday afternoon from too much pericoles. The seesaw loses its equilibrium again. Not quite a crash this time, but a definite thud on the ground. An easy fix, though. Cut back on the pericoles. I want to stop and pull Adrian off the damn seesaw, but I can't. I have to find the balance. Keep the balance. I believe we all have a place that resonates with our soul. 
whether it's a particular country, region, or city, our heart connects with the land and we know we belong there. My place is the San Inez Valley, just east of Santa Barbara. Driving through the rolling green hills full of vineyards and orchards, I feel a sense of calm. I imagine living there on a small ranch, growing my own grapes, making my own wine, riding my own horses, and eating blackberries straight off the vine. My dad always jokes, to my daughter Andra, there are only two places in America, Los Angeles and New York. Then there is the great wasteland in between. He doesn't understand. Even though I love big cities, they don't bring me peace. Adrian gets it. She loves Los Angeles and wants to stay here for college, but she also wants a house in Arizona one day, somewhere near Sedona. Adrian savors the dry land with its red rocks and spiritual vortices. She desires an acre of Arizona desert for hell-raising bonfires. Since hiking is out of the question, Adrian wants to go shopping in Sedona during this trip, but I'm not sure if she will have the energy to do so. In her Honda Prelude, Ava speeds down Highway 89A, the road between Cottonwood and Sedona. The drive can take up to an hour depending on traffic. Ava picks the perfect time to go, late Monday morning. Not in the mood to shop, I stay home with Dad. Ava and Adrian arrive at the Sedona Center, an outdoor plaza with shops, galleries, and restaurants, 20 minutes after they leave the house. Adrian looks for her favorite store, the one with the alien face in the window. Ava finds it and together they walk upstairs. Adrian buys presents for her friends. One gift, an Indian style cuff with a buckle and blue bands she chooses to keep for herself. As they leave the store, Adrian says, I have to sit down, I can't go any farther. When she reaches the bottom of the stairs, she sits on a nearby bench. Are you okay? asks Ava. No, says Adrian. I don't think so. I don't feel good. Can you make it to the car? No, I don't think so. Will you be all right while I go get the car? Yeah. Ava races back to the car. She jumps in the prelude, shifts in reverse, and pulls out the parking lot. She reaches Adrian by driving onto the sidewalk. Exhausted after 45 minutes of shopping, Adrian naps for four hours when they come home. After days of feeling nauseated and tired, Adrian wakes up on Tuesday morning looking more like her normal self. She wants to return to Sedona to finish her shopping. We grab lunch at Sonic, a restaurant we love but don't have in Los Angeles. Adrian drinks their famous strawberry lemonade and nauseous on fries. We get on the highway only to discover traffic has stopped due to construction. More construction. We can't seem to get away from it. We move a few feet. We wait five minutes. Then we progress another 10 feet. We wait. We finish lunch in the car. We move again. 45 minutes goes by and we are no closer to the red rocks of Sedona. I'm getting tired, sissy, says Adrian. Do you want to go back? I ask. Yeah, let's go home, she says, referring to dad in Ava's house. The disappointment in her voice stings me like a bee. Goddamn construction. It's everywhere. Children's Hospital, Burbank High, Highway 89A. I want to tell her we'll get there eventually, but I don't. I see her pale face and her drooping eyelids, and I know she needs to lie down. 
I wait for the car ahead of me to move forward a few feet before making an illegal U-turn across the highway. As we drive back to Cottonwood, I crush the thoughts in my head. Will yesterday be her last trip to Sedona? Did I miss another opportunity to spend time with Adrian? God damn construction. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.